0: Just pray into this moment before we move forward in the service. We want to be godly homes. We don't want to be homes that say one thing and do something else. We don't want to be dads where our children and our wives see us one way when we're at church and they see us a different way when we're at home. We don't want to be moms and wives whose children see us one way when We're at a church picnic, but see us a different way when we're hanging out with our friends in our neighborhood. Oh, God, come on, help us to be a witness for you in this world. But first and foremost, for the children that we are going to pass the baton of faith to, that we would give them a clear clarion call of what it means to be a passionate, devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Come on, and everybody said together, amen, amen. All right, come on, you know we like to do some giveaways here at the City Life Church, so... Let's do this, because we know our college students are always hungry. So I've got some, some $10 Burger King gift cards. So somebody's already hungry for a, a Whopper right now. I can, I can tell. All right, you know the answer? Okay, all right. So we're going to put you on the spot, bro. So what are going to be the images for Radical tonight? It's an extreme sport, so you're have to guess. We've already done surfing, skydiving, BMX biking, and snow skiing, what's another extreme sport? We're going we're gonna to test your abilities to foresee the future a little bit here. Ultra running. Ultra running. It's not that one. We'll give you one more try since you stepped up with such boldness. What's one more? I'll give you a hint. Can we give her a hint? On belay. <laughs> her friend says, rock climbing, and Brooke went, rock climbing. All right, because we believe in grace at the City Life Church... We'll give you that one. All right. Okay, so this one's for anybody. All right? Since I'm Father Fred, your, your regular pastor couldn't be with you tonight. So anything that I would say that might offend you, you can just chalk that up to Father Fred. So, Could I also just say for a moment, your pastor, he is a great guy. I mean, he's not here tonight, so we can talk about him. But he is caring, clever. He's handsome. Am I allowed to say that? I mean, wow. I mean, if I didn't already have a flock of my own to tend to, I would come to the City Life Church. I would. Uh, yeah. All right. All right. Since I am Father Fred, somebody who can tell me the difference between mortal and venial sins. Oh, come on. Oh. Come on. My wife says, what? What is that? Mortal and venial sins. Dan. Yes, the mortal sins, some would say, are unforgivable and venial sins can be forgiven. So not that we would know anything about mortal sins here at the City Life Church. So can I just say too, you know, I tried to talk Vanessa into dressing up tonight, but she said she just wasn't going to do it. She said, I'm not dressing up. So, all right. Father Fred, Father Fred, blame it on him, blame it on him. So, Hey, come on, just to get us thinking along the right direction tonight, we we, want to think about something that you crave. I know we've done as our participation moments before uh, things that you favorite flavors or food that you like. But in the realm of food, let's stick within the realm of food, something that you crave, right? So if you've not had it, see, hands are shooting up already. When you've not had it for a few days, there is withdrawal that you're going through. Yes, ma'am? Pancakes. Pancakes. (laughs) Any particular kind of pancakes or just straight up pancake, maple syrup, butter, just real deal. I hop, all right, an IHOP pancaker, Stefan. French. French fries, chocolate, chocolate. Chick-fil-A, on Chick-fil-A on Sundays. I know we are bitter as Christians. We want businesses to be Christian, but when they are, right, we complain. Miss Ray Lynn, what's something that you crave? Uh, candy. Candy. Yes. That craving is about to be satisfied. Beyond your parents' worst fears. All right, we'll just, I'll point and you say something. Ice cream. Sammy, we're skipping Sammy. We're coming back to her. Coffee. Praise the Lord. Especially the new cinnamon dolce from Starbucks. Betsy. Cheez-Its, four, cheese four cheese crackers. Yes, the four cheese Cheez-Its. Yes, come on. Somebody else. Anybody else stand? Peanut butter. Peanut butter. Yes. Bria. Ice cream. Do you have a favorite flavor ice cream, Bria? Um, Mint chocolate chip. Mint chocolate chip. Wow, Zoe. What's your favorite? Pears. You like pears? (laughs) Wow, that is beautiful. Did you make her say that, Nicole? Pears. Wow. That's you. I hope this is being recorded. You can play that back to her when she gets older, right? You said pears, Sarah. Nutella. Yes, Nutella. Anybody here like Nutella? Oh, come on. It's dangerous. Dangerous stuff. Somebody else. Did somebody else's hand pop up in the back? Yes, ma'am. Watermelon. Do you, do you put a little salt on your watermelon? Because I put a little salt on my watermelon. It's a, it's a southern thing. It's a southern thing. Je, is that Jessica? Chocolate chip cookies. The ones that are undercooked just a little bit, so they're a little bit doughy. Tim? I've got to have my Pizza. Pizza. Uh, what, any, any particular kind? Just any, any. Cheese shop. Chee, the, the sauce that you dip your sandwich in, the cheese shop. Let's just go there right now. Come on. Do we have time? April? Cheese. Yes, ma'am. Miss Claire. Shrimp. Last one. Superman. Brownies. Brownies. Yes. All right. So we, we, we connect with the idea of our physical body's craving. You with me? Everybody, whether you raised your hand or not, there was something that you said, if I've not had that for a while, I get hungry for it. There should be something deep inside of us that craves God's word if we've been away from it for any amount of time. If you miss it for a day, two days, three days, you should not feel right. There should be something deep inside of you that says, I must have time in God's word. We're spelling radical tonight as part of the series. We're picking a different word every week. We're spelling radical tonight, B-I-B-L-E. We have a radical Bible that God has given to us. Listen to this in Psalm 119, 103. It says, how sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. It was the psalmist's way of trying to say, there is a craving that I have for your word. Deuteronomy 8.3 is the very verse that Jesus quoted when he had his encounter with the devil in the wilderness where he said man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Job 23.12 is a powerful verse where Job says that he craves, he desires, he hungers, he wants God's word more than the food that sustains his physical body. There is a life to this book like nothing else on this earth. Standing alone with the ability to impart to us life, healing, power, deliverance, revelation, transformation, divine guidance and hope. A radical claim that is undeniably true. A radical book that God has given to you and I that there should be something inside of us that says I just can't get enough of it. And the same with some of the things that you mentioned, it's not as though when you eat those things, they get old to you, right? The more you have, the better it is, and every time you come back to it, it just keeps getting better and better. How much more do you think it should be with the eternal word of God that should satisfy something deep inside of the human heart he wants you and I to have that and we're hoping tonight as we just give you a glimpse we're going to do this whole sermon tomorrow morning at the Williamsburg campus so we're just going to give you the kind of the front piece of it tonight and then also you can always download the notes off of the website so we're going to maybe get through one or two of them tonight we'll see and then again we're going to do the whole thing tomorrow morning in Williamsburg we want to talk about a radical pedigree a radical bible has a radical pedigree what does pedigree mean somebody anybody Its origin, where it comes from, what's initiated the Bible. It's a radical book because we look at it and we say that it had its beginning in the heart of God. These are not ideas that man has formed. The phrase that you hear often use, that it's divinely inspired, it's just a fancy way of saying that every thought, every word, everything that we find in this book, it started in God's heart before it was put down on a piece of paper by man. Let me read this to you. I want to throw out a couple of resources tonight. One is this this, uh, guide here called Christian Apologetics by Doug Powell. It's a great addition to your library. Listen to this, it says, the councils of Carthage in 393 and Hippo in 397 fixed the list of the New Testament books into its final form, but these books were not arbitrarily selected. They each had to meet a certain criteria. They had to have apostolic origin, meaning that each book had to have been written by an apostle or by an associate who preserved an apostle's teachings. The only exceptions were granted to James and Jude, the brothers of Jesus who became his followers after his death. This requirement also means that the books had to have been written during the apostolic age which is the time when apostles were still alive ending with John's death probably in the late 90s that's not the 1990s come on that's just 90 90 they have had to have generally accepted by the church and in continuous use in worship services. The teachings of the books had to cohere and agree with accepted and undisputed scripture. Lastly, the books must be inspired by God. As such, they must display, listen to this, a self-evidencing quality and the power of to transform lives. This criteria is important to us as devoted followers of Christ of why we have such a confidence in the pedigree of God's word. It had to have apostolic origin. In Matthew 18 there's a, a moment where Jesus looks at the apostles and he says whatever you shall bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you shall loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. There's lots of interpretations of that verse but I'm of the school of thought that that's the moment in time where Jesus looked at these men and he or a ordained them to expand the canon of Scripture. Canon is a word in the Greek that means rule, or it means a standard. So when we say the canon of Scripture, it means that all truth is measured against this one standard. And that he looked at those men 2,000 years ago, because we know that the Hebrew Bible was in existence, right? Genesis to Malachi. But he looked at these men, he said, I'm going to give you the authority to make this book a little bit bigger it had to be of apostolic origin of people that were there and had those words spoken over them again with the exception of the two brothers of jesus but we can understand why they were accepted written during the apostolic age which means they had to be books that were written during the life of the people who were there when the events occurred so that there was an opportunity if there were falsities in there that people would have risen up against it which they did not continuous use in worship it means that all of these books that we read in the New Testament, they were letters that were being used in congregations all throughout the Roman Empire and beyond. They were viewed as sacred texts from the moment that they were written. Coherence among Scripture, 2 Peter 3, 16, we already see Peter in his epistle. Before these councils gathered together to canonize these books, Peter is already referring to Paul's writings of Scripture. This is important for us because there are a lot of other religions in the world that distribute literature about Christianity. And one of their complaints is that we have a Bible that was forced upon us. And they cite these councils when the bishops gather together, especially the two that we read about in that apologetics study guide, when the final 27 books were drawn in and some were left out. And their argument is that this Bible was forced upon us, but what they don't understand, come on, or even worse, they ignore the facts as history presents them to us is that these bishops, when they gathered together, they came representing their congregations. And they came and they met together, and they created a list of the books that those congregations already saw had a self-evidencing quality based upon the ability to transform a person's life. Coherence among Scripture, and this last one, the self-evidencing quality. We believe in a radical book that has a radical pedigree. Let me just give you some verses. Again, you can download these notes, and I hope that maybe you'll spend a few more minutes with them. But Psalm 119, 89. Your eternal word, O Lord, stands firm in the heaven. Listen to this one. This is Isaiah 40, verse 8. It says, the grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of our God, it stands forever. Come on, it's a radical book with a radical pedigree. Look at this verse, Matthew 24, 35, it says, heaven and earth will disappear, but my, this is Jesus talking, my words will never disappear. It's a radical pedigree, they were born out of the heart of God. 1 Peter 1, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and that word is the good news that was preached to you. And here we have finally 2 Timothy 3:16. all scripture, come on, Genesis to Revelation, all scripture is inspired by God. And it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. For all the research that we can commence in regards to the pedigree, the origins of the Bible, may we never forget the truths therein have always had their beginnings in the heart of our creator. Giving life as only one can coming from the life. Everything in this book had its beginning in the heart of God. Everything in this book was born in the heart of the creator of the universe, and he breathed it throughout time and the hearts of men throughout history who have in turn given it to us. And our confidence in the certainty of Scripture is born out of our certainty in the sovereignty of God. Let me say that again. Our confidence in the certainty of Scripture is born out of our certainty in the sovereignty of God. If we believe in a sovereign God, we cannot help but be swept away by a confidence that says he has the ability to give us the book that he wanted us to have. If we believe in the sovereign creator of the universe, we cannot help but be swept away by this unrelenting conviction and belief that he gave us everything that we needed and there's nothing missing and it's perfect in the state of That he is because he's God and he can do whatever he wants. It's a radical book. It's a radical claim because it has a radical pedigree. Come on. All right, a radical power. The word of God has a radical power. Listen to this in Ephesians 4, 12 through 13. It says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and spirit and between joint and marrow and exposes the innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. Now, let's start with verse 13. That can be an intimidating verse at first. This idea that we can't hide from God, that he knows our thoughts, that wherever we are doing something that we know that we're not supposed to do, come on, we can hide from the eyes of people, but we can't hide from his eyes. No matter where we are, no matter what thought we have, Even the thoughts that you've had that you think no one else would ever know. Come on, God has seen those thoughts inside of your heart. He sees everything. He knows everything. There is an intimidating side to that. That's another sermon for another time. But what we want to talk about tonight is this idea of the comfort that it should give to us. It should bring some sense of accountability, but it should also bring a sense of comfort to us. Because if God knows about everything that we are facing in every moment of our lives, when he steps in to empower us with his living word, it's never done in a generic sense. It's not as though God is looking out over humanity and just casting out over us the wisdom of his word and hopes that something's going to connect with someone somewhere. It's not a generic get well card. Come on, it's for each of us personally that He takes His word and He customizes the truths that are in there for the moments that we need to hear them. He whispers them in our ear by the power of His Holy Spirit because He knows what you're going through, He knows the struggles that you're facing. He knows the encouragement that you need to hear. And so then when we jump back to verse 12, for the word of God is alive and it's powerful. It's sharper than the the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit and between joint and marrow. It exposes the innermost thoughts and desires. It empowers us with everything that we could ever hope to need in every situation and circumstance that we find ourselves in this life. Matthew chapter four, verse one. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It says, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Right? Matthew's just not stating the obvious. He wants us to understand that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. He wants us to understand that just because he was the Son of God didn't mean that this fast was easy for him. The writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was tempted like us in every way. We do not have the freedom to look at him, and even though he was divine and say that it was easy for him, he was subject to all the frailties of humanity that we were, but yet he lived a perfect life for you and I. Come on. Jesus was led into the wilderness, He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry. It says the tempter, that's Satan, came to him and said, "If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread." Right? If you and I had all the powers of Jesus and we were in that story, we would have said, "Hack, bread, I just turned all that sand back there to a lamb feast. I'm stuffed." Right? There's a reason why God doesn't give us all the power that Jesus had, because then we would never fast. We're going to do a fast in January. We're going to break it out so that if you've never fasted before, there'll be entry points. We're going to back it up to 20. 20 days is going to be a starting point in January leading up to our anniversary service. And we'll have entry points for each person all the way up to just one day. And then we're going to break that at our anniversary service that Saturday night, the last Saturday in January. If you've never fasted before, it's going to be a great place for you to jump in and experience that pathway in your spiritual life. But can you imagine if you had the powers of Jesus and you were trying to fast? Right, you'd be talking to one of your friends, I'm famished. Why are you so hungry? Because I'm fasting. How many days has it been? Oh, days, 32 minutes, right? <laughs> Snap your fingers, chili fee, cheese steak, right? And you're just mowing down. There's a reason why the power that he gives to us is measured, because in the weakness of our humanity, we would fail with such authority. But not Jesus. Can you imagine not eating anything for 40 days? Not one morsel of sustenance, water alone for 40 days. Days And he had the power to turn anything that he saw around him into whatever he wanted. I'm telling you, Jesus' body, it was having some cravings. You know Mary, she, she was good in the kitchen. Come on. She gave birth to the Savior of the world. I bet she had some recipes, right, that were, you know, that his physical body was saying, I just need a taste of something. But yet he said, no, I'm not going to do it. So in his weakest moment, that's when the devil comes to him. Temptation always comes to us in our moments of weakness, never in our moments of strength. And we learn something incredible in this encounter that Jesus has with Satan that we need to practice in our own lives. That Jesus is teaching us that we need to speak to our temptation. If we draw from this story, the only reason why Jesus was talking is because the devil himself was there, who for most of us will live our whole lives and never have that kind of encounter But it doesn't mean that we can't still practice the principle that Jesus gives us in this story. Because the principle that he's giving us is that we need to find a freedom and a comfort level to speaking directly to the temptations that we face because the word of God has incredible power. That when we're feeling an inclination to be drawn away in a direction that we know that that's not right, when we're feeling an inclination to stop doing things that we know that we should, that we have the ability to reach back into the Word of God and proclaim it in that situation, and it is a defense for us because this radical book has radical power. It's not just information. Hebrews 4 says it is alive, it is active, it has a power from other worlds that we will not discover. Come on, until we breathe our last. All right, so let me give you a couple examples here. Thought control. Anybody else? Come on, struggle with your thoughts, right? Come on, your mind just goes crazy. Guys, especially for you, you know what I'm talking about, thought control. We, we are not intended to be ruled by our minds. Our minds were given to us by God to be a tool. We're not supposed to be governed by them. And so when your thought processes, when your imaginations, when your mind just seems to be racing in directions that you know that are unhealthy, there has to be a moment that you step up into your own life and you begin to speak to that temptation. 2 Corinthians 10.5 talks about submitting every thought into the captivity of Christ. It's an anchor verse for me in my life as a devoted follower of Christ. Sometimes if I'm feeling discouraged, sometimes if I'm having a bad day, come on, I talk to my temptation. I say discouragement, come on. I'm not going to follow you around anymore today. I've been following you around all morning, right? It's not working for me. You might feel silly. I'm not saying that you do this at the line at Walmart, right, publicly, right? You, You have to have some judgment, but there should be a place that you can go to find some privacy and you can begin to speak to the temptation that you're facing. And there should be some verses that you begin to learn with your life that you can put into practice in that moment to overcome the temptation that you face. Philippians 4.8, I call it the tenor, P-L-A, extra powerful prayer. you got to find ways to remember, right? Tenor, whatsoever things are true. Whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are right, PLA, whatsoever things are pure and lovely and admirable, extra powerful, whatever things are excellent and praiseworthy. Find little ways that you can remember God's word so that in the moment that you need it, it's there for you to speak to your temptation. So for me, even just this week, there was a moment where I was off to myself and I just said to my mind, my temptation, I'm not gonna think those thoughts. I'm only going to think things that are true, and noble, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable, and excellent and praiseworthy. What we begin to find is the same thing that Jesus found is that no temptation can stand in the face of the power of God's word. It has a radical power that you and I need to believe in and begin to put into practice. All right, come on. What about physical control? What about physical control? What about the idea that sometimes we eat our way into an early grave? which is not a good thing to say with what's waiting for us on the other side of that door. Right? But come on, it's true. Even on nights like this, it doesn't mean that we have permission for gluttony. We can enjoy ourselves for everything that's waiting for us on the other side of that door, and we can do it in a way that's measured and God-honoring. For us, we have got to learn to face the temptations of other appetites that want to displace the appetite of God's word. There should be something inside of us that reaches for Psalm 24.1 and says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That includes my physical body. Temptation for unhealthy appetite. Come on. You're not going to control me. And for some of you, that might be a daily battle, but come on, pick up the sword of God's word and start that fight because you will win. You cannot lose. This book has a radical power. Genesis 128 is where God gives Adam and Eve the authority to have dominion over over the earth and we launched out this whole year with this this theme of change your world and we taught a whole series about you have a garden that's been given to you Adam and Eve were given a garden as soon as you breathed your first breath you were given a garden it's the garden of our existence I have a garden and part of that garden is my physical body part of that garden is this right here that's given to me as an instrument so that I can be healthy and vibrant so I could run after my destiny come on with vigor and strength There should be something inside of us when unhealthy appetites are facing us that we say to those appetites, come on, I'm going to have dominion over my life. I am not going to be a slave to my physical appetites, whatever those physical appetites might be to you, that you can stand up in the garden of your life, that you can reach to Genesis 128 and say, I am in control of myself, shut your mouth. Come on, there's an authority that you find with God's word. Jeremiah 23, 29, is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Come on, anybody seen the movie Thor? Come on, come on. Don't tell me, especially the guys, you're watching that movie and you're not thinking to yourself, oh, I'd like to have that hammer just for five minutes. Come on, you've got something like that and more. When you pick up this book and hold it in your hand because it's born out of your heart, there is a strength and there is a power that is about your life that will break to pieces any rock of temptation that you would face in this world. Father, we thank you for this book that you've given to us. Oh, that we would be hungry for it. Oh, that there would be something inside of us that says, I just can't wait to feast upon it again and again and again and again. That, Father, there would be something inside of us that resonates with the words that we find written in Jeremiah in the 15th chapter. Come on, the 16th verse where it says, Your words, O God, were found, and I ate them. Your words became a delight to me and the joy of my heart. Oh, God, let it be that you would be able to speak those words over us. It has a radical pedigree that it was born from your heart. And as such, there is a power that it wields that is not of this world. And may we, oh, God, stand strong in it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said together. Come on, amen. If you want to hear that whole sermon, come on, you can join us in Williamsburg. If you've not been, it will be a great Sunday to come or you can catch it on the podcast. So I'm going to turn it over to my lovely wife and her wonderful costume. (laughs) Well, again, I just want to say thank you for being with us this evening. I just want to invite each of you to join.